What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent, sipping on a Stella on a sweaty Thursday night here in New York City. The weather has turned fast. It went from winter to summer in three days. I should not have procrastinated on getting my air conditioner fixed over the winter, and because of that, I've been having some sweaty sleeps the last few days. Um, but enough about my sweaty sleeps. We've got somebody very special in the podcast today, in the booth, as always. Today, the subject is going to be Venezuela. We've got digital nomad and product designer Alejandro Machado with us. Alejandro, welcome. Thanks for having me, Marty. Thanks for coming on. I know you've been uh, traveling. You came straight from Philadelphia into the studio. I appreciate that. Um, let's jump right into it. Our time is short tonight. We've got beers to catch up with Eduardo later. Yes, um, we do. This is Tales from the Crypt. What's your tale? How'd you find Bitcoin? Well, I actually came to Bitcoin kind of late in the game. Uh, it was um, only last year that I really appreciated the potential of it. I Well, I, I studied computer science, so let's start there. And uh, I studied in, in Venezuela, in a Venezuelan university. It's called Universidad Simón Bolívar. It's a public university. It's a pretty good one. And uh, we had you know, really great professors from almost every area of computation except cryptography and, <laughs> <laughs> and networks and stuff like that. Like those professors are really bad. Yeah. And uh, while I, I mean, I, I got into AI, I got into a whole bunch of other things and I kind of didn't see the potential of it. Because like, I, cause I uh, read about it in Hacker News, you know, and mm -hmm. when it came out, like shortly after it came out, maybe 20, 2009, 2010 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Slashdot and Hacker News mm -hmm. were writing about it, I believe. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the Twitter account News Y Combinator. It like gets all the best bits from Hacker News without you having to go through the whole feed. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was addicted to it back then. I still check it from now and then. But um, I probably, you know, stumbled upon it a couple times. You know, like it usually happens. You kind of dismiss it. And then I... I think it was last year I, I started seeing some something new in it and uh, mm -hmm. started getting more interested and um, I actually had uh, so I, I have a, a good friend from exchange year I did an exchange year in Sweden when I was in, in undergrad oh and uh, his name is Demian uh, Demian Brenner. He's the CEO of Zeppelin Zeppelin Solutions, mm -hmm. and uh, they work with smart contract security now. So back then, when when we met, uh, we were both you know students, and uh, crypto wasn't even a thing. This was well, this was 2011, but no, there was this was nowhere on anyone's radar. Radar, and I I kept in touch with them. We 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 talked a lot, and uh, I think we both. Yeah, switch up mics here real quick. All right. This one. Here's coming in like a little. All right. Let's try that. Let's see. What is this better? Uh, yeah, a hundred times better. This uh, is like, this is this is my downfall in this podcast. The goddamn audio I can never get it perfect. Okay. I'm sorry. We're good now. So you met Damien. Yeah. In Sweden. He's working on Zeppelin, and Zeppelin they are auditing smart contracts. They right? are. They are auditing, and they're building. Uh, infrastructure to make smart contracts safer for everybody. Okay. And because um, they've proven to be pretty unsafe up to this point, they yeah. have. They have. They, they're aware of that. But you know, open Zeppelin contracts have never been compromised because they mm -hmm. follow best practices. They, they actually created one of the like 
guides uh, that are reference for the whole ecosystem, the Ethereum ecosystem, and um, they are doing great work there. I mean, not to say that they'll never get hacked. You know, it's, it's always you have to be really careful about the way you code things, but the patterns that they have are really top notch. Yeah. Now I remember. Uh, I don't know if it was Damien. I forget who it was. Somebody from Zeppelin. We had a DM exchange for a little bit over the summer. It was very interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And Santi was telling me to look into them. They're, uh, no, I mean, that's what the space needs right now is people creating these best practices and stuff yeah, like focused that. Focused on security because we don't want the DAO hack to happen again. <laughs> no, the DAO no. hack, the parody hack. None of those. No. Um, yeah, and I think even if you're not that interested in the Ethereum ecosystem, these... Uh, you know, security practices have applications to Bitcoin uh, and to all of them, really. Like, if you are planning to run any code on a blockchain, be it the Bitcoin blockchain or any of them, if you follow these practices, you'll probably do things a lot better than than the average. Uh, yeah, so they're probably waiting with bated breath to see if simplicity gets uh, and scriptless scripts gets put into Bitcoin because yeah. that will be a smart contracting language, correct? Right, yeah. that's right. And they have worked with Bitcoin before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demian and, and Manuel Laros, his um, co-founder, mm-hmm. uh, they're big in the, in the blockchain space in general, and they've, uh, they've had a lot of early products in, the, in the, the blockchain ecosystem before that was even a thing. They created proof of existence. You, mm-hmm. might, you might know about that. was the first non-monetary application of the blockchain, I, th- I think. Yeah, it's sort of what Santi did with with Roma's daughter, right? Wouldn't he hash exactly. her birth certificate into yeah. the Bitcoin blockchain? Yeah. So Manu created that. Yeah. And uh, they have they've spun that off into many different ideas and products, and uh, some of them I think were too early for for their time, and some of them are giving fruits right now, like Zeppelin, the the Open Zeppelin smart contracts, the whole framework, and 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 the what the, what the work that they want to do with Zeppelin OS. Uh, they want to bring security to a, to a new level to like to be to be able to make smart contracts secure by default, which they're not right now. Yeah. So you were born in Venezuela. I was born and raised. I I was live I've, I've lived there almost all my life. Um, I left when I was twenty five. Mm-hmm. So you know I I spent uh, some time abroad because I I did my exchange year where I met Demi. I um, did my masters part here in the U.S. and part in Portugal mm-hmm. was um, a master's in human computer interaction at Carnegie Mellon. So that's because I, so I, I started out as a de- developer, and as I told you, I was a hacker news junkie. Mm-hmm. But I, so I did, I didn't, I did an internship at Spotify when I was in Sweden. Um, I'm doing my exchange here, and I found out that I liked working on products more you know like in the intersection between humans and software Mm -hmm. not only on coding so i decided to do my master's i I was on track to do like a a research uh career in ai or something of the like because that's what my thesis was about but i I realized that i much enjoy uh the um, the product side of things and the people side of things yeah like the user experience user experience yes for sure so So, yeah i i picked that master's and uh i I, I totally. I s- lived in uh, here in in Pittsburgh and in uh, Portugal for a while, and then I went back to Venezuela because I I really wanted to make a difference there. You know, maybe you know do a startup there. I had a bunch of ideas, and I've I've always been very close to my my hometown and my homeland in general. I I've never had the 
long-term you know ambition to to migrate and, and mm-hmm. to be elsewhere I, I i really want to go back and and rebuild things when when the time is right but right now it's not the time that's why i'm kind of like skipping around <laughs> in a digital nomad fashion yeah what year did you go back uh, 2015. 2015. What early, was early 2015. So let's lay out the landscape. We had Eduardo on, who we're going to meet later, and he laid out the landscape. We actually had the first part of our conversation cut off. We weren't recording because I'm an idiot. Um, but he basically, the part that got cut off was the history of Venezuela and how it got to where it is today. That's a shame. Yeah, I listened to that episode, but yeah. that, that, that part was missing. But we, maybe we could fill some of that in. Let's fill it in. Yeah, so I, I grew up... In, uh, in a country that felt very, you know, it was, it, it had a lot of problems and it, it still does, uh, but it was on its way to become, uh, you know, it was a liberal democracy back then. You know, in the, in the 90s, Venezuela was not in a really terrible place. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of corruption for sure. Like the, the 40 years prior to Chavez was a very, you know, the politicians had a really bad rap, yep. like like I think everywhere. Yeah, uh, wherever you find a politician, corruption <laughs> is not too far behind. Exactly, and Venezuela I think was um, an outlier in that regard because I think we were more maybe more corrupt than the and than the average. Maybe not, you know, if you compare it to the rest of Latin America because we have a pretty bad history overall. But you know, the the fact that there's oil and the government pumps it out of the ground. And the fact that they have to, they, they kind of keep all of that because it's nationalized and so on, that creates strong incentives for the government to to misbehave. Mm-hmm. Let's say, so the people were fed up with all these. And and in 1998, I was only eight years old. They elected Chavez because he represented change. But I think the the people in my family, for example, and the people in the no, in general, in the, in the middle class, I think the majority of them, they saw that Chavez wasn't the answer to the corruption because they were fed up with corruption. Like they, everyone was, uh, you know, losing from from the corrupt system, but some a lot, a lot, a lot of people saw that Chavez wasn't the solution because Chavez was a military man. He had attempted to overthrow the government with a coup in mm-hmm. 1992 earlier, and uh, it was just not the answer. But, you know, some people went along with it. He, he won uh, by, by majority because he convinced uh, the majority of the population to vote for him. And in the beginning, he didn't claim to be any, any of these like labels that, that they have now. Like the, He didn't claim to be a socialist. He said that Cuba was a dictatorship, and um, he pretended to be, you know, like a middle ground candidate where mm-hmm. he would just fight against corruption that's that's oh, when when a politician tells you that they want to fight against corruption you know be be very aware and measure his words very well yeah. because that's typically the rallying cry for something else that, yeah, yeah, like they're, they're, they're hiding something like because every, anyone can line up against corruption like no one likes corruption so that that's like a, an empty message yeah it's an easy populist uh tribe right there that's right tribe that's yeah. right so so growing up, you know, I I really enjoyed my childhood. I, I had a really nice childhood, you know, middle class in Venezuela. We we didn't we didn't have a lot of needs. Like, you know, my my mom and dad they were both working. Mm-hmm. Um and uh you know, we we had a, a happy happy life. Um things started to, uh, started to get more complicated when uh, Chavez came to power and then he he started dismantling the institutions i think that's that's the good way of like drafting that journey there 
he didn't care much for, for example, central bank independence. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that the first world takes for granted, and I know you know some some of the crypto folks here might uh, not fully agree <laughs> with me on this, because okay? like, you know central banks, central bankers are evil and so on, and and that's yeah, I, I get it. Uh, but you know, having just one separation between the government and the central bank, like Europe does or like the U.S. does, you know, mm-hmm. the Fed isn't, you know, Trump can't order stuff to the Fed right now, and, no. and the Fed won't will obey. That that's not happening. That's not but, how it happens. But but Chavez actually did that. He asked for a milliardito, which is like a little billion. Just give me a little billion, and and you know, you you'll see what I can do with it. That that's what Chavez did, or he said, and the central bank obliged, and they said, you know, well, we'll do it, and then Chavez came again for more and then they did it again so chavez uh got used to being able to finance everything that he wanted just by by printing money and by by just asking the central bank mm-hmm. to do his bidding and um yeah that that's how it all started and i think looking back that's one of the things that went really wrong yeah because it set a really bad precedent yeah you uh you get addicted to that yeah it's yeah. like heroin exactly it's uh once you get it's easy money it's not, they don't call it easy money for nothing. Mm, it's, exactly. Uh, this is money you can print. Like, yeah. it's, it's simple. And so that's why we're here, folks. This is a podcast about Bitcoin. And this is Bitcoin's mission is to create a monetary system where, where, where that's not possible. Where that's not possible. Where there's sound money, right? That, that yeah. Money is it's actually represents something tangible and then cannot be printed at will. It's an algorithmically determined system. So let's talk about Bitcoin in Venezuela. Mm. What's going on? I know uh, Maduro confiscated a lot of mining equipment. He, yeah. He launches his own shit coin. Mm. <laughs> uh, things are not getting any better from a Bolivar perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on? Now? Yeah, like, where, where do we start? I mean, let, let's... let's are, are people actually using it? Like, is Bitcoin helping at all? It is, but the story is more complex than that. It's not helping maybe in the way that you think that, oh, you know, the average population is buying it and, and, and using it. I think it's more, you know, very few tech-savvy people who have become miners or who have become early adopters are, are reaping the benefits of, of using Bitcoin and, and holding Bitcoin in the past and now, you know, mining Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies now. Now it's it's really difficult to mine Bitcoin in Venezuela because the government will know that you're mining. Yeah, how 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 will they know? Because they control the electrical grid mm-hmm. and they know when there's an abnormal use of electricity. Mm-hmm. So if you have like, you know, a small apartment and uh, your electricity bill is like the Empire State Building yeah. or <laughs> something, they know that you're mining. And uh, they'll, well, uh, typically what they did before was they'd send some of their goons to extort you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I've, I've heard that's changed now. They, they, they want to do it more like by the book because mm-hmm. now, uh, I think since, since last year, very recently, you have to... R- uh, register and they have this central registry of miners and and if you register in theory they'll just leave you alone because you i mean you you're committed to giving them a share of your profits it's basically like taxing you right mm-hmm. i don't know how that works in practice though because i i'm, I'm not uh, very you know miners don't really talk about that stuff that much because they they're afraid to, yeah. to be targeted and uh 
I think it's very irregular. Like if I if I had to guess, uh, looking by the way, looking at the way the government does things usually, uh, I think it's very still very irregular. And I think the profits from those um, mining operations and like like the the, the government's cut, what they want to take from it is um, basically going to the enforcers, you know, to the to the strict police that goes around and, and, you know, raids apartment buildings and stuff like that. So I think it's it's still a very, you know, artisanal operation. It's not like a state-level thing where Maduro knows exactly what, mm-hmm. where crypt- cryptocurrency is being mined. I think it's much more, you know, low-level or, or, or peer... Um, system if you will where you know the people who have the guns and who have the authority uh will come and get it and they won't do it on behalf of the government they will do it on behalf of themselves and they'll keep the money for themselves so yeah. they, they've seized mining equipments they have seized profits you know they, they just take your your hard drive and, and they demand your keys so so are these like analogous to roaming militias that so they're separate of the government it's not like they they are still so I think that the the body that does this kind of thing mo- most often is called SEBI. Mm-hmm. It's uh, basically a secret police. They they claim to be an intelligence. It's like an intelligence service of, okay. of sorts, like a, kind of like the FBI, but much more uh, tropical and and mm-hmm. haphazard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so so they have they have a lot of resources at their disposal. Like, for example, they have access to the electrical grid and and you know the intel, and uh, they they tackle civil- civilians. There's also the military, like counterintelligence unit. I, I don't think they, they tackle minors or, or civilians that often, but it could still happen. Um, yeah, that, that, those would be the, the people who would have access to, to data, privileged data from the electrical grid and, and other sources that would try to extort you or actually do it. And then maybe they they could collaborate with like state police and stuff mm-hmm. like that to like actually and and but the thing is it's they have incentives to not collaborate with a lot of people because they they want to take the, the profits for themselves yeah so they try to like get as close to the source as possible so if you if you have if you're like a captain in the secret police and you have access to this database of um, the 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 electrical grid and then how how much electricity is being used in every apartment building or I don't think they have that much data but maybe like by zones or something and you kind of snoop around mm-hmm. and kind of feel the area I think I mean if, if you have that position you, you'd be making a killing yeah. just by extorting people right now damn man it's so fucking crazy mm-hmm. you know, what's crazy is like they're not they're not shutting down mining operations because they see bitcoin as like something evil that that'll like take down the boulevard like that's already happened but like they just want they want the profits. They want the Bitcoin. Yeah, that's that's very funny because the government changed their narrative uh, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general, like almost 180 degrees. Like the, last year, it was you know it was evil because you know they they had this perpetual need for having an enemy, right? Mm-hmm. And before the enemy was well, the enemy has always been the U.S. and the U.S. dollar and and so on because you know everything's priced in dollars and the petrodollar and the, this and that. So they had that, but. Uh, last year, they they've been fighting with this website that gives the price of uh, bolivares. Uh, that gives the price of one dollar in bolivares. Petro dollar, right? No, Petro, uh, dollar today. Dollar today. Did you did you talk with the dollar about that? Or? I talked with Santi. Santi was tweeting about it. I actually wrote about it oh, in yeah. my newsletter last week. And, oh yeah, I, and I saw then, that. And then. Um, 
Santi and I got called out on Twitter by a managing editor, editor from Reason, who actually might be coming on the podcast in a couple of months, um, basically saying that he contacted the owner of Dollar Today, who said that the prices weren't being being manipulated and he said this dude uh, lived in like alabama or something oh yeah uh, the alabama guy yeah we, uh, so I, I sometimes write for caracas chronicles mm -hmm. it's um it's a news site run by venezuelans it's an independent journalism and it's in english if, it's in english so if anybody in any of you listeners any of you freaks that are in america and want to learn more about venezuela caracaspapers.com caracas chronicles caracas chronicles.com yeah it's a good source yeah um, we have uh, like journalists on the ground who are Venezuelan who write in English, so it's it's mm -hmm. great, and they have complete ed editorial control. Like they, they they can publish whatever they want, and um, yeah. So there was an article about the Alabama guy, but I th I last I heard these are just rumors, right? Because everything's kind of shady in that world. I heard that the guy had sold it, and and they had sold it to the government. Like the the, ru the latest rumor is that Dollar Today is right now being controlled by the government. So last year, recapping for my like what what I was saying before, Dollar Today was like the nemesis of the government last year because mm -hmm. they are against, they they want to hold the price of the dollar as low as they can because they know if if the dollar prices uh, go up, they can afford less things because they they can. They have to import everything, mm -hmm. basically, and and the more that your currency is, the, the less your currency is worth, you know, the the, the worse off you are. So, they 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 try to censor the the price of the dollar, and they they think that by doing that, they are fighting some sort of an economic war mm -hmm. against you know the enemies of the republic that want to <laughs> you know make the dollar price known it's actually it's actually forbidden in venezuela to publish the price of the dollar it's a crime what it is yeah so you know lots of lots of people so dollar today is, is blocked by you know by by the by the authority like conatel is the like the regulator for internet and, mm -hmm. and some telecommunications in Venezuela, they're, they're blocked. So, like, you, if you type in dollartoday.com in, in Venezuela, you, you can't access. But, of course, they have a Twitter account and they have, you know, apps and stuff like that. So, yeah. they, they get around that pretty easily because the government's not that tech-savvy to block it at the, you know, at a higher level. But, um, so, they, they, they had been fighting with it. And uh, I think what, what I wanted to say about uh, Dollar Today and Bitcoin, I think uh, in the beginning of this year, uh, some there, there's a blog. There's a blog called Aporrea. It's a um, government. It's like government supporters blog. It's, I, don't, I don't think it's actually run by the government, but it's just like a f bunch of people who are ideologically aligned with the government. And uh, they said they had proof that dollar today controls the price of Bitcoin globally. <laughs> <laughs> so this tiny, this tiny website. <laughs> That's supposedly run by this Alabama dude. That's fucking incredible. That you know, it it, it that ma mainly just publishes the dollar, you know, the the, the dollar rate the, of uh, against the Bolivar. Yeah, the currency pair. Yeah, the currency pair. So they they pointed to a, to a couple of you know coincidences in the graph. If if you look at the dollar today price against the Bolivar and and the Bitcoin graph, they had a like you know like similar patterns mm -hmm. in in some ways but like it's just just like you're looking at noise mm -hmm. man and 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 they're interpreting it as you know like oh yeah it must be that dollar today because the dollar today changes because i think what they noticed was the 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 price of doll the dollar upticks just before the bitcoin price is going up so they say you know oh yeah this is conclusive proof come on venezuelan government this is statistics 101 correlation is not causation Come on, this is this should be well known. 
throughout the world. Yep, yep. And, um, you know, and they, they just don't seem to realize that it, if they had that predictive power, like if Dollar Today had that predictive power, they'd probably be more more valuable than Apple, yeah. right? <laughs> like, <laughs> what are they talking about? They have no idea what they're talking well, about. They're just trying to confuse, I mean, confuse everybody, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think that they genuinely believe that, like the, the people that, that published that article, and, and they're, I think they have degrees in economics or something, like they... It, I don't know where they got them in the cereal box, probably. <laughs> but um, they were serious about it. I don't, I don't think they were joking when they published that. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you later. I'll, it's, it's a fun read. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So hmm. where do we go from here? Like Venezuela, like it's a complete shit show. Like how, how, how do we, I mean, and we're not going to solve Venezuela's problems here, but as no. a Venezuelan, what do you think needs to happen? Yeah, but so I've seen a, a few initiatives, and let's, let's talk specifically about the crypto world because a lot of can happen in politics. Um, I, I don't see the government voluntarily yielding power to any other actor because it's just, just not the way they roll. And if they were to do that, they'd be tried and the Hague, and you know, they, they don't want that. Yeah. They, they want, they're, they're holding on to power, I think, not only to keep the money that they stole, but to keep their freedom to roam around the the, the country because mm-hmm. well right now they, if they go out they'll probably get um prosecuted or like they they, they don't want to go out of venezuela that often and and well sometimes 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 they do but it's not it's not a common case like the, the people who, like the government cronies that are really really deep in the dirt uh they have their lifestyles it's a, it's a very limited lifestyle because it, people hate them. Like they, yeah. they can't go out in public and, and they can't like speak in public. Maduro is like supposedly holding a, a campaign rally, and he has to be protected from all sides. He can't be seen like in, in public. You know, it's not not like the typical candidate yeah. um, rally that 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 he has to do because it it's it's very patent that that people don't don't like to see them around. His approval ratings are super low. So these guys are not going to give power voluntarily and I think whatever happens with the with the government, I think we should be planning you know, the crypto community should be planning other things and, and mm-hmm. should be be independent of that. So the, what's interesting is that with the whole rollout of the petrol which, which we could talk about later if you want. I think what went unnoticed was that Maduro Issued decrees legalizing cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, uh, Litecoin, other. You know, I think he he just didn't mention specifically, but he said, you know, cryptocurrencies are now legal, and they had never been legal illegal because you know in in law everything as, as far as I know, I think in in the in the law principles of like the the, the Venezuela is uh, is running by, uh, if something's not declared illegal it's it's legal by default right mm-hmm. it's, it's not, not 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 allowed so bitcoin was used in the past but the government could say or or the secret police could come to your place and say hey what you're doing is legal be illegal because you're mining and you know what this is and then people would you know be scared and and they 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 had no recourse they they can't say no what i'm doing is legal but now Maduro is saying, okay, cryptocurrency mining is legal, so you can do it. You just need a license or you need you need to, because they want to regulate it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because this whole thing may may just backfire on, on Maduro. Uh, this whole effort of teaching people about cryptocurrencies, we hope that people will be smart enough to 
gravitate towards the free cryptocurrencies, you know, like Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And I think Bitcoin is the main example of that. Because if they could pay, if they skip the petrol altogether, if the petrol gets no attention from the people, but instead Bitcoin does, I think there's a, there's a pretty real chance that people will start having an economy run by real money, by, by sound money. It'll be a dark market to start, you think? Well, it, it was kind of a dark, dark market to start with. Uh, local Bitcoins kind of operated in the, in the shadows somehow. So, like, it'll, it all used to be much shadier than it is now. But mm-hmm. I think now with the government announcements that everything's going to be legal now, you know, for example, you could now, he, Maduro ordered the, um, and he just goes ordering, bossing around everybody. But, like, so Maduro ordered the, um, uh, the flight uh, companies, the airline companies that are operate inside Venezuela to accept cryptocurrencies. And he didn't, he didn't say Petro. He didn't say <laughs> you have to accept Petro only. <coughs> For some industries, he's trying to do that. So, like, he's especially in the in the oil industry, he he's trying to. So, like, the, the, what you mentioned with India before. Yeah. So, free freaks that don't know, I believe it was this week or last week, Maduro offered India. A 30% discount on oil if they paid in the Petro. Let's talk about the Petro a little bit. Mm. What the fuck is it? Does it exist? Like, who has it? Who owns it? Like, does anybody outside of, like, the Maduro government own it? Like, So, last time I checked, there were four or five addresses in the NEM blockchain. Mm-hmm. That's the, the one that runs the Petro. And um, and they had all the all of the issuing. So, they haven't issued any. Like, they, they haven't. They, they claim that they had an ICO, but the investors are not seeing their money. So, do people actually invest in it? I I've seen some people on Twitter who have <coughs> screenshots that kind of, to me, sort of prove that they've sent a significant amount of money to the government. So, like, I'm, I'm talking about like five thousand, six thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know, crazy people who are just like investing their money, like because maybe they got lucky and they got early in the game with yeah. Bitcoin and stuff, and now they have money that they don't know what to do with, and they wanted to keep keep it keep multiplying it. So um, I've seen such people. Um, I don't know any personally. Uh, I don't know any, anyone personally who, who's invested <laughs> in, in the Petro. But um, as far as I know, they, they haven't received any, any, anything back. So like they, they've, for example, if, if you pay in, you can pay in Bitcoin. So the, the government, you, you log into the Petro website, you get an address where, where you have to send the Bitcoin. And then... They promise that they will send you Petros because you have to register your NEM wallet, and mm-hmm. then the Petros can be transferred using the NEM, the NEM blockchain. But uh, so far, only only the government or only you know four or five addresses who like they, they all seem to have connections with the government because of the <coughs> the behavior of the transactions. This is very small transactions that kind of seem like test transactions, mm-hmm. or you know the whole amount like. If if there's ten million of one kind of petrol, because now there's four kinds of petrol, what it's crazy? Yeah, what? So the, the government didn't just they create hard fork already? No, 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 no. It's not even that. It's it's crazier. So the government created four different tokens for the petrol, and no one knows what they're about because the white paper doesn't mention any of it. Like the white paper only mentions one, and they say, okay, the ticker is VEPTR. This is the one. But then from that, from there, we they they created not only that, but I think PTR pre-sale, uh, PTR ICO, and some other, I forget. So there's four tokens, and, and actually one of them has mutable supply, <coughs> interestingly enough. So if you buy that one... It's actually scarce. 
No, the mutable supply uh, in the in the NEM blockchain means that uh, they can issue oh, mutable. more. I thought yeah. you said immutable. No, mutable, mutable. So there, there's like a uh, parameter when you create a, a mosaic. Like so, m- tokens in the NEM blockchain are called mosaics. Yeah, what's going on with NEM? Like NEM's always like been on like the top ten in, cri- in crypt or uh, coin market cap. I've never uh, understood what they do or uh, when it came to be. I I don't know much about them actually. I. I think they want to be an Ethereum repla- replacement um, of sorts. So, so they they power, in, in, they say they power smart contracts and uh, they have tokens and mm-hmm. stuff. But I don't know of any serious enough crypto projects running on the NEM blockchain. Like like you do. I mean, Ethereum has a lot of crypto projects that are running. Are on you top saying of the that Petro isn't serious? No, 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 <laughs> no way. I would I would never say that. No, Petro is serious as it gets. Uh hmm. It's funny watching Maduro try to like pull this off without, without like Any everybody th- knows it's bullshit. Like it's like, what are you doing? Like, well, you know, that's what they do all the time. They Ma- but, Maduro is used to this. Well, like you were saying, like him legalizing cryptocurrencies might backfire because people will start using Bitcoin. That's that's right. Him so- him doing this on a global scale, like the Petro like doing it like in front of a global audience it's just like drawing more negative attention to him like oh my god if this guy's this stupid like we need to help Venezuela out and that's one thing I tried to broach when Eduardo is here but I didn't really do a good job of it I don't think is like how do Venezuelans like number one do you want help from the outside world number two how would we be able to help if we can right number three like what are the first steps you know yeah yeah so i'm i've been working on that for a while you know these questions are really hard because there's no not one single way of doing it and and you have to be responsible by by the way you do it you want you want to be you want to create the most good and um so for example zuko from zcash Mm -hmm. has reached out and and he's one of the people who are most vocal about helping venezuela and, and fighting hyperinflation i think that that's beautiful the the whole you know beyond the crypto uh, beyond bitcoin and and beyond you know the whole ecosystem of, of blockchains i think that the common the common goal or the the common vision that we all have is to separate money and state mm-hmm. you know eric for for he uh, says that uh, mm-hmm. very often and and i think uh that's a vision that we all share and that we we shouldn't be fighting against each other so much we should be sharing that vision, and I think Venezuela is one of the of the points where where that vision is is crystal clear. Because hyperinflation could be a thing of the past if you separated money and states. Like the the reason why Venezuela is going through a hyperinflationary phase is because the government has been really irresponsible. Mm-hmm. So what if you could take that power from the government? What if you what if the government would were would, were no longer able to issue currency in in such an irresponsible way? So you know how church and state were the same or, mm-hmm. or were very tight together in the 15th till that, century. Until that so. asshole Martin Luther came along. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and, and then, so the, the whole thing changed. Now, now we, like we have freedom of religion. We have other things. Uh, and uh, that has shaped the modern state in mm-hmm. a way that has been, I think we would all agree that's beneficial states where the where religion or one single religion doesn't play a huge role i think are better off than states where religion is is very tight there well i would agree 
and it's yeah. funny like our favorite book here on this podcast is the sovereign individual oh that's right that's and they t- and they talk about like 500 year super cycles and we're at an inflection point like entering another super cycle with, with the information age but the last 500 years were dominated by nation states which mm-hmm. overtook the church before it and it's interesting interesting to see how these huge uh, monolithic structures whether it be the church from 1000 AD to 1500 AD or the nation states from 1500 AD to today they sort of wind up turning into the same like money sucking monolith that, that that they overthrew so like the state or the church back in the day they used to charge alms like <clears throat> it wasn't it wasn't called taxes but you had to pay money to the church to be in good standing with God to right. get to heaven and it was basically a tax on people where the church gathered a bunch of money it's probably why the church the catholic church in particular is like the one of the richest entities in the world sure and it's probably from that accumulation of of wealth when they were charging people taxes in the form of alms yeah which were usually precious metals like gold and then nation states martin luther comes in writes the 95 thesis destroys the church shards it up uh we have sort of like a renaissance period nation states take over they've had the last 500 years and they've sort of turned into what the church was towards the end of the 15th yeah, century have you noticed it's a, it's a common pattern and I'm, i want to say i'm a big fan of the sovereign individual uh that's one of the books that demi recommended so that's that's mm-hmm. what I, I was kind of like hovering around the crypto space but not really until you know i i read that in 2016 mm-hmm. but I, like that um that was one of like the first approaches that i had and i i also uh, started following Balaji Srinivasan in, on Twitter, and he, you know, he, he mm-hmm. also references uh, sovereign individual themes very often. I think it's brilliant, and um, I think that this is a very common pattern that the state, or you know, some supra entity that aggregates humans, kind of becomes stagnation, becomes mm-hmm. a, you know, a, becomes too. Almost too rigid. Too rigid, and then, like, it becomes too monolithic and too too slow yeah. for for the changes in technology that are that's needed. That's right, and then that's, that's when it's up to the individual to stand up for for nimbleness, for change. For, for exit. For, for exit. Exit a system. Yeah. Monetar- like, and you can't exit the system until you have something to exit to and that may be what the internet and bitcoin are providing us that's right an opportunity to exit via technology yeah we hope so yeah um god i fucking love that book read yeah. it if you haven't it's so good so good uh i lent it to a friend and you should never lend, lend books to friends because they, they will never return <laughs> I did especially this. if they're as good as the sovereign individual. i did the same thing i haven't seen it i haven't seen it in a year <laughs> Um, I, I actually, should just buy it again. It's it's actually on my list of things to do. I gotta buy another copy. Mm. Um, no, but it's it's because it, we are like at an inflection point right now. Like we are in the middle of. It feels like that way. A huge transit. Like it's undeniable. Mm. It's undeniable. Like the free flow of information. The fact that you're from Venezuela. We did a Skype call when you were in Colombia a couple months ago, a few months ago, in this office actually. Like. It's, the world is changing. Like yeah. These, these government is becoming less relevant. Yes, exactly. Like Everything, mobile is eating the world and now crypto is eating the world and I think the combination of crypto and mobile and you know the, the ability to work from anywhere and the ability to be earning money from anywhere 
and without having a state dictate how much the currency is worth because I, if i earn in dollars i'm subject to the fed right it not it doesn't matter if i'm not i mean i'm not i'm not a us citizen i i have lived in the us but not don't do don't live in the us currently but let's say i i i receive a paycheck in dollars before the before the services that i do i'm being subject to the policies of the united states and why should i be if i don't have you know if i don't have my permanent residence here for example yeah. why why should i be subject to that well in this case i mean it's it's certainly convenient to earn in us dollars or in euros for example like these are strong currencies that that we can, that most of the world respects but what if you are in venezuela and you're you have you have to be subject to earning in bolivares because that's a national currency like no one's going to pay you in any other currency because that little the loss as you I mean, the, the the national currency is the bolivar so what do you do when your salary is nominally going up you know by because maduro you know decreed a 150% increase in the minimum wage mm-hmm. i think like a couple of days ago i don't know if it was 150% but you know you you get the point it's it's ridiculous you know how how much they've raised and raised and raised and raised the minimum wage and right now it stands at like i think something like $3 $3.5 if you take into account the salary plus the food benefits and stuff so that's a month monthly salary of 3.5 Where does it reach the point of ridiculousness where people just throw up their hands and say this is this is not going to fucking work anymore? Like is it are we close to that point? Have you thought you were close to that point at some point in the past? I have I have I have thought that many times. So last year, you know, we had a lot of protests and uh I really thought we were we were getting close because you could feel it. You know, people were fed up. You 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 would see hundreds of th- hundreds of thousands of people on them, you know, on the, on the streets and You see them. They they censor the the TV stations. They they can't show that in Venezuela. But you you see that in Instagram because it, I was seeing something similar to what we saw during the Arab Spring, where, mm-hmm. where the people were kind of rising up. But um, the government actually managed to squash those protests after a while because the pre- people got tired and and they jailed the main opposition leaders. And uh, they're actually very skilled. So if if I had to say something good about the Venezuelan government or like you know something pot or give them props for something, give them props for something, it would be that they're really they're a ruthless machine of experts at at keeping power. Really, and they they have created an environment for themselves that where the where they're safe. They they are surrounded by military men, and they. They know how to keep them happy, mm-hmm. happy enough to to actually keep themselves in power for for a while. But that that apparatus is actually starting to show some cracks, because you know I think a couple of days ago a, f- a few pictures of of the middle and and lower ranking officials came out, like you know how how they would in the past give them stuff like you know cars and uh apartment build like no not apartment building but apartments or you know stuff that that everyone kind of needs so if if you have if you're in the military and you have no no other skill to speak of then you'd be okay mm-hmm. so they they took really good care of that because they had they they spent a lot of 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 their budget in the military. Chavez was a military man and he always took care of his own, right? Mm-hmm. And then Maduro kind of tried to do the same, but Maduro is not not a military man. That's like the first point I think of of distrust there. 
and that that might that precipitate some some change in in the future but so i mean so far maduro has proven to be loyal to the to the man in, in olive green and um but the what what's happening right now is that there's just not not enough money to go around there's mm-hmm. there's not enough and uh people are starting to get less fewer benefits so for example the the military the the these guys I, I mentioned, they were happy with just like a, a pack of rice, uh, you know, like a soap, yeah. soap bar. Th- this is what they're bribing the officials with. What? I mean, the, the middle, the, the, the lower and, you know, infantry mi- mid, mid low ranking officials, they are content with just the basic necessities of life because that's that's how far we've come that's luxury in today's venezuela yes it is yes it is holy shit but as you say i think you know how how much further can you go because what what happens when you can't even afford that right what happens when you can't afford to keep your infantrymen you know with with like a a bar of soap and 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 some food on the table it's crazy how how it gets to this point that's what blows my mind especially when it comes to food because arguably venezuela is going through famine right now right yeah well that's a it's a pretty strong word i think there's yeah. like international uh standard uh, rec- recognitions of, of when a famine occurs I, I don't think we're quite there yet but i would say that people are starving people are starving people are st- some people are starving and i would say, well you know um there's statistics i think uh, the average venezuelan lost uh something like 20 pounds i want to say last year I, it shit. was it's it's massive I, I don't i don't have the numbers off the top of my head but it's you look it up it's it's incredible how much the the system has been able to make the average venezuelan worse off mm-hmm. in terms in terms of you know food security in terms of maslow's, income maslow's hierarchy of needs so just been yeah and and uh Especially, you know, food, um, health, health services. Mm-hmm. It's something that is really, it's, it's baffling to see how, how they're just so incompetent that they, they can't even, you, you would think that they, they'd have an incentive to, to keep hosp- hospitals well stocked because they're, they're, they're public hospitals and they, after all, they claim to be, you know, they're socialist and, and we, we are caring for the people and so on. But, you know, the people who are, Experiencing the the blunt of the crisis right now are you know for my friends they're doctors my 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 doctor friends are going through such a hard time because they have to tell like they have to look at patients in the face and tell them I'm sorry but we can't treat you because we don't have this we we don't have this or that or or for example they they have someone who's been shot and because that that's, that happens very often in Venezuela it's a very dangerous country and they just don't have you know the 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 things that they need to save his life mm-hmm. so they. They had. They have to do. Well, of course, they they try to do whatever they can, and sometimes they they work. That they're heroes, and and you know, I, th- I think in everyone's views. Um, but it's it's very hard for for the people who are facing the crisis, and then for you know for doctors and for people who, who do social work. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's leaving the marks there. The the, the crisis is just staggering. Yeah, the mental scars are going to be are going to mm-hmm. be pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. I can. I, I mean, I can't imagine. I was gonna say, I can't. I can't imagine. Like, and I bet, like your doctor friends, they probably feel like a mission to like stay and, and help out and like. I I know some people who feel that way. Um, I know people who have felt that way, but they now 
you know, they're, I don't want to say they're giving up because it's, it, that's a very strong statement. You know, like, if, like you could, you could ask me, did I give up, give up in Venezuela? Because I'm not living there anymore, but I, I haven't, I, I'm trying to fight from, from outside. And I think my, my doctor friends would say the same about themselves. Uh, I have, for example, a, um, a doctor aunt, it's a, she's my, my mom's cousin where they're practically like sisters. And she runs uh, one of the children's hospitals in Caracas, and I, th- I know that I know for a fact she she feels very responsible about what goes on goes on there because she's one of the very few qualified people to run that place. Mm-hmm. And if she goes away, then things she's got to show. Yeah. yeah, it's it's incredible how things can deteriorate. You know, if if you have lack of materials, but also lack of personnel. Yeah, it the things. Things can go bleak very, very soon, very fast. No, that's what's crazy. Like when I had Eduardo on, I had Za, mm-hmm. our buddy Za from Zimbabwe. I listened to that podcast episode. It was great. Yeah, the way he describes it, like the brain drain happens fast. So you have like the smartest people leaving first that know that they need to get out. And then the strong ones like your aunt and, and your other friends that are doctors are staying back. And it's it's, it's yeah. tough to rebuild once you have that brain drain. Right. So I wonder, um, doctors are obviously something that you need in a country and you, you need that person on the ground. You need that person to be there. And and f- maybe, for example, a civil engineer, if you want to build a building, you have to be there and, and, and do the measurings and do that that stuff. But what if, you know, people like myself who are computer scientists and product designers and, and people who work with digital tools, I think we could do a great deal uh, and especially now with cryptocurrency, that you know, it, it's it's a way out of mm-hmm. hyperinflation. It's a way out of the traditional financial financial system. Especially, you know, that there's services that are that are, have been running in Venezuela for a long time. Like lo- local bitcoins is one of the greatest examples of how you can trade. Believe it is for for Bitcoin, and you know, so far it's 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 held up really great. So, what if we could, as software engineers and designers? get together or you know or not we could we could do things remotely and work on projects for the benefit of most venezuelans <laughs> what what would that look like so i i got a couple of of projects that i wanted to mention here um that i have uh, you know my support i i i can't do like i only have 24 hours in a day <laughs> and, and i don't i don't have uh, my my full attention to any any one of these specific projects at the moment, but I think they're all valuable, and I I hope to find you know one that is um, the most bang for the buck, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a few people that are working in Cucuta. It's a border city uh, with Colombia, mm-hmm. and uh, they're trying to to make that city. Do you know David Hay? He's um he's on some YouTube channels. Uh, I don't I, I don't think I do. He's a he's a Bitcoin enthusiast, and uh, he I think his wife is Venezuelan, and mm-hmm. so he he feels very passionately about about Venezuela. So he started this project, and also my my, my friend Jonathan Khan. Uh, I was just in Dallas with him uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, great guy, and and they they are trying to be to to make Cucuta a place where. Merchants accept Bitcoin and uh, and other cryptocurrencies too, and and where they they're organizing airdrops to the refugees that are coming from Venezuela there, and that they're they're doing this by expanding because Cucuta is a is a fairly functional place. It's not a dystopia, you know. Cucuta is, is in Colombia, mm-hmm. and um, 
it's um, you know the, the peso is uh, the peso colombiano is is a perfectly functional coin. You know, I, I know you're gonna say ah, it's it's fiat, it's it's bullshit, but you know it's 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 not not that bad let's compared compared to the bolivar. Let's, let's be clear, like fiat currencies are very very. Uh, They work. I mean, they work right now. They work. They work right now. Like, but they, like, they're very. They have a lot of utility. Right. So, uh, so, so the idea is this: these people who are coming from Venezuela to Cucuta, they don't have fiat because the, their fiat is broken. So that no one has Bolivares. No one. If you take Bolivares with uh, through the border with you, they're probably they're they're practically worthless. And well, you you can you can exchange some of it to to have something to to eat the next day, but not very many people have you know thought. Or, or or have enough in advance. To Nobody's accepting bolivars outside of Venezuela, right? Well, in Cucuta, some people are because yeah. it's it's easy to transfer to to go back and forth in mm -hmm. the border. But they they charge massive rates because they they are subject to extortion by by the national guard in, in Venezuela. So it's it's not the best uh, setup for for an exchange, if you will. But so what if the, the these people who you know they they have some sort of refugee status if they were airdropped. Uh, some Bitcoin, and uh, the businesses around them, so maybe pharmacies, uh, grocery stores, things that are first necessity, um, they start accepting Bitcoin. So what what they're doing? Uh, they're doing a pilot program where where they're handing out tablets. Um, they're very very inexpensive tablets to merchants, mm -hmm. and the, and the the deal is okay. You're you're gonna get to keep this tablet. Um, And and the catch is you uh, will teach you how to accept big cryptocurrencies, and you will serve the needs of you know you can still charge in pesos whenever you want. You can you you can serve the needs of people who are from Venezuela who we're going to airdrop Bitcoin to, mm -hmm. and then they they you, we, we you could use crypto Bitcoin for example to to accept, to accept payments, and uh, we'll teach you how to exchange that into pesos if you want to to exchange it. Mm -hmm. But we recommend that you keep the Bitcoin, right? Yeah, so we we got that. Uh, hook there, and um, some you know some businesses are taking in the value proposition and saying, okay, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, there, there's no loss in this, like there's there's no downside, so why not? Let's do it. Yeah, no, I've heard about this airdrop actually at uh, the Bitcoin meetup that I go to into the city in this in New York City in particular. I think this guy might be involved with this project in particular. Jonathan Wheeler. I think so. Yeah, yes. I'm. I'm meeting with them. Uh, I think tomorrow. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I, lunch. Airdrops is another uh, touchy subject in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency sphere because in the past, like Aurora Coin, mm. like Fort Coin, that was a massive failure, huh? Yeah, but I think with Bitcoin, it could be, and especially with Venezuela, like it's a, it's a very unique setup. situation yeah, and setup where crises create creates opportunities. Right? Exactly. So how do the mechanics of this airdrop work? Do you say we we have not figured, not figured it out, out yet? Yeah. Uh, I think it's that the devil is in the details, you know. Uh, and you know, Jonathan and uh, Jonathan Khan uh, and uh, David Hay are, are working hard at that, and, and they're working like they're, they're talking to other Venezuelans about it. And I'm I'm, I'm uh, chiming in and putting in some. Democracy input. Earth is on board with this too, right? Democracy and Earth is I know experimenting with some uh, lightning channels, and yeah. uh, they're they're in talks with some political. I think um, Julio Coco is one of like the dissidents yeah, from, he's the, like a, from Maduro he's like government. A Twitter. Yeah, he's a Twitter personality, yeah. and uh, they I think they're working with him to to maybe start um, accepting or, or yeah, uh, trying to experiment with what they could do with the Lightning Network. I'm I'm not very familiar with those efforts, but I I applaud them. I think uh, everything that 
you know, touches cryptocurrency that could potentially help the Venezuelan people, I think we should try it all. We yeah. should, we should, because we don't know why it will work. And maybe it's, um, we, maybe we'll find out that airdrops are not such a hot thing. They, 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 they don't work very well, but, yeah. but maybe we'll, we'll find out that they, that they do. You know, they, there's, uh, there's people that run controlled experiments on, on giving people cash, you know, direct mm-hmm. cash yeah. in, in societies, like in small villages in Africa, for example. There's um, and and they've been studied uh, for for a long time and uh, sometimes this works really well. Like you could bootstrap an economy and mm-hmm. you could increase the livelihoods and and, and the, the the capacity of um, of everything from, from from the people just by giving them, giving them directly cash and and this would be the equivalent thing with Bitcoin. So maybe that's a good strategy. I'm not I'm not sure it is, but it, I think it's worth a shot and I think the Lightning Network setup that they're doing with Julio Coco is also worth a shot. I think for example supporting uh, journalism in Venezuela like mm-hmm. for example you could donate to Caracas Chronicles that that's also worth a shot like if you, if if you're just looking for something to do, you know, like I just want to help out Venezuela. Um, what what should I do? If you, if you care about journalism, I think that's that's a good way to start. Um, Caracas Chronicles is is, is a great uh, great resource. I think, for example, there's m- well, my university is also collecting funds in Bitcoin mm-hmm. uh, because the, it's a state-run university, and the, the state denies them of funds, uh, and and it has done so for the past five or six years or more. And um, we are we're trying to set up, for example, a um, Kind of like an endowment, but it's mm-hmm. much riskier than the traditional en- endowment that you see here in the U.S. Because you know Harvard has the endowment, and, and they they got plenty of money to go around, and they they want low risk because mm-hmm. they, they don't want to risk the whole endowment in you know yeah. in Bitcoin or or you know the EOS or the next hot thing, right? <laughs> but uh, for us, I think it would make a lot of sense to make riskier. Uh, you know choices because there's not much more downside exactly and, and <laughs> there's there's huge upside potential exactly. so i think um doing this kind of I, I i i'm not a finance guy but i and i'm looking for you know for people who, who help me out in, in this task I, I have a few people who who are willing to help out and we're ironing out the details but i think for example the, setting up this crypto endowment of sorts is, is something I'm, I'm excited about it's it's just it's never been done you know yeah. no, no university has has done this because they they typically are very conservative and they they want their money to be safe and now i think uh, in uh, in countries that are in crisis i think it, there's an opportunity to do this yeah and that's like that's what i think like that's how hyper bitcoinization will begin is if countries like venezuela zimbabwe other other areas and certain or similar predicaments it's when the citizens start demanding to get paid in bitcoin right cryptocurrencies right i think uh in zimbabwe uh the there was like a de facto dollarization right so Mm -hmm. they the zimbabwe dollar was worth nothing so people started demanding to be paid in in dollars multiple currencies and i had actually somebody a newsletter subscriber email me this week actually monday or tuesday i forget which day Exactly, but he was just down in Zimbabwe, and he said the main currency, like, people are using Bitcoin, like, people have Bitcoin, but it's not huge. The main currency down there is cattle right now, and that's, like, what Zah said, huh. like, whenever you want to, like, pay for your tuition for school, you give you give the school a cow or something like that. Wow. So, like, livestock, they've, I mean, they've reverted completely back to a bartering system, like... Store value. The coincidence of once is, uh, I'll give you a cow for 
for an education. It's crazy. It's like wow. So I think that's cheap. Yeah, oh. uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much a cow's worth. I don't know how much uh, how much the cattle futures are going for these days. But <laughs> um, no, it's crazy to see like different types of currency and like what evolves and maybe Bitcoin. It's not proven. Like it's not. It's not a guarantee, but it is hope. It's like you. It is. You can. You can try. This is. It's a. It's an opportunity to give an honest try at at, at bootstrapping like an economy. That's right. That's right. And, and I think. Well, I think the essential thing is for the majority of people to have smartphones, to have a phone that is capable of running a wallet. That is the the core element of any airdrop of any effort that wants to achieve mass adoption in crypto. And I think, I mean, the prerequisite, absolute prerequisite is to have computers in our pockets. And mm-hmm. In this case, it's phones, right? Yeah, so this is a good segue into like the UX of crypto right now. Like, yeah. So how how are everyday Venezuelans struggling? Like, what do you think? Eh, I don't want to preface the question that way. Um, so UX and crypto, not the best. Not the best. You We're be, working on it. You have to be pretty tech savvy. Yes, as as of now, as of today, yes. I think we are trying to develop best practices for for the for the DApps and for applications that interact with blockchains. Does they, they don't have to be fully decentralized because it's, it's very hard to get a fully decentralized yeah. application. And you only need decentralization in very very specific cases. And it's also not a binary choice. It's not like, oh, I'm fully decentralized or not decentralized at all, although like fully centralized. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a spectrum, I think. Uh, yeah. We, we've we've uh, learned that everything, like you can measure, you can quantify decentralization and every, you know, you need a, a minimum degree to, to be censorship resistant uh, at, you know, state level, for, for state level actors. But beyond that, uh, I mean, I know Bitcoin heavily prioritizes has censorship resistance, and I think that's that's great because that works for people for for Venezuelans, for example. Um, but uh, there's a lot to play around in that uh, spectrum between being yeah. fully decentralized and, and and being centralized. So yeah, what what people have to figure out first, or what we what we should uh, tell them or or set their expectations to, is that blockchains take longer than usual to interact with. So mm-hmm. if you're in the Bitcoin blockchain, you have to get used to the fact that every 10 minutes, you're, you're, it's, it, it's only every 10 minutes that the blocks get cleared. Mm-hmm. So if you are sending money to someone, um, that, it, it takes a while. It just takes a while. And, mm-hmm. and that's the price you pay for, decentralization, and that, that's fine. It's a, it's a can, trade-off. It is a trade-off, yeah. So that's one thing. I think if people are used to uh, – one of the big obstacles in, in the UX and, and in crypto is that they are, people are very used to instantaneous everything. So Instagram, load it and uh, refresh it and, yeah, I want more. It's 2018. I need it now. Exactly. I can't wait. Uh, Patience doesn't exist anymore. We forgot that virtue. Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, I think we're getting it back with Bitcoin. I think we are. It's helping people. Expand their time horizon, mm. lower their time preference. We're getting away from a lifestyle of conspicuous consumption. I yeah. hope so. I certainly hope so. I do too. Because, yeah, you make bad decisions when you're forced to think short term. You know. Yeah. There's one thing I brought up uh, on Twitter. I think it was I forget who I tweeted it at, but I, the fact that we need to adopt uh, as a Native Americans, I believe it was the Iroquois 
they had the whole mentality of seven generations. Like they made decisions Based thinking about the seven gen- generations in the, in the future into the future. Wow! So they made decisions around their society thinking about seven generations into the future. So their time preference was like two hundred and ten years, like wow. two centuries. And I think more people around the world need, need to number one read up on the seven generations theory and then number two start adopting some some of those tendencies within that theory which is thinking long term yeah yeah and i think uh that also ties into uh the way that you know things are are moving rapidly uh, i think you know the, the past year has been so crazy and i think every year we we, we, we say oh that, that year go by it's speeds up crazy. they warn you everything's speeding up I, i'll never forget i was a senior in high school and we were it was around thanksgiving break and we were playing a football game like in a field like in our high school field where we would go play football like after school it was like a pickup game and uh it was thanksgiving break and a a, a couple of students like a group of students from two years above us in high school who are now in college like came back to like reminisce like at the football field while we were playing and they like literally uh-huh. walked up to us and they're like they did like the Billy Madison, like grab the kid by the face, or, like stay here as long as you can. <laughs> it only gets faster. Like cherish this. And, like we don't realize it until like we don't. Ten years later, now I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, it's... it really flew by. Yeah, time flies. Cherish life, but cherish es- life. But especially with the emergence of like all these technologies and and our attention spans now, like where they're where they're being directed it's it feels like it's getting faster and faster and faster and yeah. faster yeah so well in that and let's tie back to to bitcoin and and to you know ux of cryptocurrencies i think well having a a set block size or, or a block time of, of 10 minutes may not be such a bad thing you know mm-hmm. you you might get some of that patience back and um so that that's one of the things that is challenging to to, to tell people because you're you're fighting against the current. The current is is taking you to a society that expects everything really really fast and easy, and um, you just sometimes you just have to wait. So that's um, that's one of the things, one of the challenges that we have. I think um, also the internet has spoiled us into believing that things are free always. So like information is always free. Mm-hmm. And I think with cryptocurrencies, the cryptocurrencies kind of break that model a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you know, there's all there's all this talk about micropayments, and now the Lightning Network is up, and uh, it's going to enable some substitution payments. And, and I'm really excited about all that. Um, but I, I wonder, you know, how how do we? Because uh, growing up, I I didn't have to pay anything to start reading stuff like Hacker News, for example. Like, what if every article on Hacker News now, or you know, a few years from now, is going to cost like a fraction of a penny? And I'm in a country where <clears throat> I don't have access, or or you know, my 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 family's wages are are very low, and mm-hmm. I can't yeah. can't afford that. I don't or, know. I don't know if the microtransaction uh, structure works out in the long run because like. As soon as you have somebody offering better content for free, like, <clears throat> like that's, like if people can get better content for free, and like if people are willing to put content out for free, like, but do you, do you think that works? That will work in the long term. Why? Like because of advertising, or potential for advertising. So I'm a good example of this. Like yeah. I put this out for free. I pay for this. Yeah. I pay for my newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I have had a few ads, nothing crazy. But again, like I would never, I, I, I think putting a paywall up for me specifically, since I'm so niche and so small, like right now, like it, it just kind of goes against your ethos, right? Like because you that, and then like nobody would fucking pay it for yeah. what I'm writing, you know? Like that's right. Um, so that's like where I go, I go back and forth. So like maybe it, like opt-in subscription, like something like Patreon, for example, I think yeah. works better. Yeah. No, but with microtractions, but then, like, I go back and forth. Like, what Batstone with the attention token in the browser. Like, you just pay right. to not get served ads. I mean, because, again, there is a cost for... The internet is not free. Yeah. They're selling it's your not. data. Mm-hmm. Like, there's hidden cost. And it's like, are, wi- are people willing to forego that hidden cost and then have like a material cost that they can see it's tangible they know exactly how much right they're spending yeah like maybe people would rather just like not know like how much their data is being sold for right it's a debate it's debatable you know it's like well one of the things that that tie into ux and and you know the data or like the privacy preferences for people i think most people if given the choice they would obviously prefer to keep their data private. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that this whole Facebook fiasco was was all about that. But I think, do you think people care enough about their data to, for example, quit Facebook? Because I, I quit Facebook, for example. I, I I I'm not longer using it. Like granted, I if I I, I use other Facebook servers, I use WhatsApp all the time. Mm-hmm. I know that they're tracking everything. WhatsApp is mutinying right now. So yeah. Oh yeah, I, I saw that. I saw um. That. Yeah, I haven't deleted my Facebook yet. I'm a weak bitch. Uh, I don't know. That's like I've I've gone back and forth. I had so this no, conversation, and yeah, I don't know if people care enough about their privacy to give up these services. And I think what we what we need to do maybe is to build something that's just better. Yeah. So, have you talked to Ryan Shea and the people from Blockstack? You, you yeah, and uh, Patrick Stanley, and uh-huh. uh, he was on the podcast two episodes ago. Okay. Actually, I'm gonna go to Blockstack for lunch in a couple of weeks here. That's awesome. I've been trying to get Ryan and Maneeb on. They're very busy people. Oh, they are. Yeah. Um, big fan of Blockstack. What me doing. too. Me yeah. too. Because they have scalable dApps right now uh-huh. that are working. Yeah. And that's, I don't think enough people are talking about that. Like they have a Google suite. You can do like Google Docs, spreadsheets, calendars on Blockstack. Yeah. It's decentralized to an extent. That, but yeah, but that, that's... Censorship resistant. Yeah. It, it, then, then it comes to my point. What does that offer to the regular American, for example, you know, because in Venezuela you might have, you might find a use case for that because, you know, the government might be censoring you or like a place like China, for example, because the government is much more technologically uh, savvy. Mm -hmm. So in China, if you get censored, you can have access to these decentralized applications and right away, you don't need to bother with VPN or anything. You just like get complete access to this right now. But in, um, you know, for the average American, what would it take for the average Joe to switch from Google Docs to any of these Google Docs replacements that are on Blockstack? That's that's what I wonder. Yeah. And, and and for me, it has a lot of value. Don't get me wrong. I think it's it's a really exciting project, and I, I fully support it. I just I just think there's th- something there that needs to happen. It's gonna be it's gonna be like a black swan event, like an Equifax hack or uh-huh. something like that. Somebody's gonna hack Google servers, and there's gonna be like a a fappening, but it's not going to be celebrities. It's going to be regular Joes where some hacker just puts regular people's information on the internet that they hack. Like that's, it's got to be a catalyst like that. Yeah. Extreme. yeah but so, so, but for example, the Equifax hack is a good, it's a good breaking point there. I, I was astounded by, by the, you know, the scale of it. 
But do you think it had the reaction? Like, because, you know, people were upset about it, but what happened? Like, what was the consequence for Equivax after all, all that went down? I, th I think they, they're just doing business as, as usual. They they basically have... Yeah, they go in front of Congress, get a slap on the list. Like, that's, that's it. Slap on the wrist. Um, <laughs> What's, what I, what, where's well, their skin exactly, again? Exactly. So what I, the point I'm trying to get at is, like, something, like, fucking... Fight Club esque, like the last scene of Fight Club has happened, where we're not blowing up buildings per se, but like blowing up like everybody's information and being like, "Hey, we hacked this. We're gonna like prove that like like we have these naked photos of you. We're just like put them on the internet. It's gonna scare people and be like, holy shit, we can do like." So it takes like a very it takes like a fight ideological club. hacker exactly like so that's that's one i've talked about this on the podcast before but one theory i had after the equifax hack is what if the hackers that stole that data did a quasi ddos on the irs where they have identifying information they have social security numbers they have addresses they have email addresses phone numbers they could technically with all that information file taxes for all those people oh yeah I've, I've heard of that maybe in I, your newsletter yeah they can file taxes for all those people and multiple times and basically confuse the fuck out of the irs the irs doesn't know what's real what's fake like they just know that somebody's yeah somebody's claiming taxes for the same person multiple times so that would create a real need for a on-chain on KYC of sorts. Like I, I prove my identity when, like you know, yeah. using Uport or using Blockstack or using something. Yeah. And then you know that that's the way you know the the IRS knows that that, that that's, that's me. actually him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. It's gonna it's gonna, I, I believe a catalyst like that is needed. Okay. I'm not calling for it, please. No, 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 not at all. But but it it might be. You got to scare people straight. People don't fucking change. People change based out of fear. Yeah. People aren't like afraid enough. They don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, and, and they're comfortable because services like Google Docs and services like Google Search and all that is just, just very comfortable. Like, I, I use Google Maps to get here. That's yeah. A, yeah. That's the thing I worry yeah. about, though. Have we been lulled into comfort intentionally? So, like, we we don't even need like, kind of like to a fight. Brave New World kind of scenario yeah. where. Yeah. I, I don't think there's one specific actor that's orchestrating all this thing i don't I, like i don't really believe in that like, no, it's a very conspiracy theorist occam's kind of razor like yeah i think it's just the i think the environment as a whole has that kind of perverse uh incentive mm -hmm. to to lull you into very passive ways of thinking yeah. and passive ways of, of acting so yeah, just obey, right? A false sense of security, if you will. Right. And right. we have cryptographically proven security, people. It's here. Yeah. We can really secure our data and prove it with math. Yeah, we can. Uh, we just need a catalyst, like you say. Exactly. To, to move up to, to that world. It's trying to convince people to care. Yeah. Which is not easy. Yeah. So I guess Venezuela represents an opportunity there to, because, you know, when society breaks down, when institutions break down completely, you have to start, kind of start from scratch. And what better way of starting from scratch than just using Bitcoin and using the things on top of decentralized applications, de decentralized infrastructure, blockchains. Uh, you, can, you can start afresh from, like you, you can like set up a new identity system. Like for example, I could, I could show you my Venezuelan ID right now. You're gonna <laughs> laugh. Let me see but it. The IDs in Venezuela are so ridiculous. They look totally fake. 
I actually had my first Venezuelan ID when I was 16. Like, I, I faked it, and I, I, I said I was 18. Oh, my God. You look like such a baby in this. Yeah. But, but holy but, shit. But, but look at the quality of that thing. I made a fake ID in my dorm room my freshman year that looks more legit than this. <laughs> Like I literally made it. It's literally holy a shit. Piece of paper that you can I post this on Twitter? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm gonna take a picture of it. I'll post it on Twitter in a little bit. But this is insane. Yeah. This, well, it's, it's gonna be expired soon anyway. So like, I I can't even vote with that thing. This is worse than like a fake library card. Yeah. Like, I don't think it look like a exactly. Yeah, it looks like a fake fake library card. So so what happens when your government services uh, are in such bad shape that all they can produce is something that you know looks like a like a fake library card like how how do you generate something that doesn't even have like a barcode on it like yeah. can that not even be no scanned? no no it, it, no it can't well this is to be well this is from 2008 so it, it should it should have a lot more safety so they're probably worse it. now um i think they've gotten a little bit better yeah but uh you know to the point is they they are able to like a government can issue a kind of a library card that you know to- looks totally fake and, and like a kid that's 16 i was 16 when i did this and and i wasn't like specifically very technically savvy i hadn't studied computer science yet like i i, I was into computers but you know anyone could do this and and uh, get away with it so i think there's um the the state and the, and the individual have to kind of, well, let's say, we have to kind of come together uh, at a place where we have ownership and and cryptograph- cryptographically proven ownership over our assets, and mm-hmm. and 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 we are we have to be f- look, we, have to, we have to feel protected by by the tools that we use if we if we use a tool that for example is a is is an id that looks like a library card you know that that plays against you because anyone can steal your your identity from you like anyone can it, it could impersonate you yeah uh, so that's that's a that's a really bad model but if you have a system where if you if you get enough people to think in the mindset of cryptographically secure proofs and you start um, having some sort of tokenized IDs or or some sort of smartly generated uh, you know proofs that that you are who you say you are yeah if if we work on that and and if we if we, ha- if we have a, if we have a system that where, where the the user kind of has ownership over the data then the just the, the the whole system will be more secure. Like I think that the state will benefit, and the and the user will be, like the the citizen will benefit. Yeah, and if you freaks want to experiment with any of these technologies that are out there right now, I would download Blockstack, uh, Keybase.io, very good uh, PGP like cryptography, like fully end to end encrypted service. Yeah, um, just to learn how to like create a PGP key, how to prove with cryptography who you are so like with these services Blockstack and Keybase in particular you have to like use your social media accounts you cryptographically cryptographically prove via your social media accounts or mm-hmm. whether it be your GitHub Twitter mm-hmm. Facebook that you make a post that says hey I'm registering this Blockstack ID I'm registering yeah. my Keybase ID and I'm cryptographically proven that this is me and right. my proclamation and you have to do it on multiple sites just to that's right i've I've done it yeah and 
But th- there's kind of one missing link there. So you can prove all of all of your, you know, social media accounts and all that. Where does the state come in? Like where or like how do you represent yourself to the state? How do you prove like maybe is it with <laughs> biometrics that you do it? Yeah. Is it And then gets hairy. Yeah, because you only have so much of it. So it's like if if you only have one thumb, right? So yeah. if if your fingerprint gets burned burned or if you if if it gets public can someone impersonate you using your fingerprint yeah those are questions that we have to ask ourselves when yeah. when we're designing the system you know like there, there's people working on this that are you know way way more in the weeds uh, that i than i am this is i'm just like ranting here or just trying to brainstorm here with very little info but like, you know you port is, is working on this like block stacks also working on this how how do you have um an ID that really represents you and uh, that no one can take away from you. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, how, how do you how do you do that? Maybe maybe that's so. I I saw something interesting in Germany when I was there. Uh, they have this uh, system called Postident, mm-hmm. and uh, they actually verify your identity in a sort of federated way uh, by by having you go to the post office. Well, it's it's I guess it's it would be similar to what uh, the U.S. does with passports, and I, I think it's brilliant. And I, I I had never seen that before. I. I was really surprised when I found out that the U.S. Uh, U.S. citizens get their passports in, in post offices, because in Venezuela you have to go to a central central service and you have to go to, go to a central office and they like the government issues it and it's like the Casa de Moneda, which is like the the the, the same uh, facility that prints the bills and stuff. So you have to like deal with them directly. So it it feels like a very centralized model, whereas here in the U.S. you would do it through a post office and you you would verify your your identity for sure. But you would do it in a in a more, uh, let's say, decentral way. Like it's not just one single point of failure. So you, you yeah, I I got my last pa- passport at a government building. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, the post office is government run too. But but there's many of them. Yeah, and uh, you could go to any, exactly. any any you like, which yeah. is which is the advantage. So what if? We had the the equivalent of post offices for identity service on a blockchain. What what would that look like? Maybe maybe it's just one other service that post offices offer. And what what I'm going to mention about Germany is that I had to uh, I wanted to open a, a bank account uh, that was uh, digital only. Mm-hmm. So Germany has great uh, services for for banking online, and they have like bank uh, online only banks that that are free, like they don't charge fees and so on. So they're great. One of them is called Number Twenty Six, and uh, they they just verify that that you are who you say you are, and and just the clerk of the post office sees you and sees a passport, and he signs. A document or you know it's a digital document that says that person has verified that you are who you say you are in person in person mm-hmm. yeah so, so the prerequisite so is showing up physically yeah and having right. yeah but now i mean not i don't think we have to do that exactly the same way i think now now we have cameras now we have phones with great cameras and and capabilities so well that's that's what we we're talking about it gets hairy because you yeah. have you have deep deep faking where like people can fake you on video and audio. Well, yeah, that's coming. That's coming. That's here. It's here. Yeah. It's in its nation stages, but it's here. Like, okay. Like that's where. So that's where I was bringing up earlier. Yeah. Like, I don't know if this was recorded or not, and I f- forget. But what we talked about last podcast, like 
could you cryptographically prove like an audio recording, like using a digital identity, like a black block stack ID, like signing a key and saying, I'm sending this digital file and signing my, my block stack ID that proves my identity, that proves that this is audio, this audio is actually me, this video is actually me, you know, because deep faking is coming, it's coming, it's here, it's going to become more ubiquitous, that's another thing, I mean, we talked about this on the last episode, but it's another thing the sovereign individual touches on, like in the information age, it's going to be impossible to discern what is true and what is fake because of how real the fake shit will look. Feel yeah. Well, virtual reality also is, is <sighs> take off, right? Yeah. If, we, if it makes that in. That's like, we're, we're in some her- heavy territory here, but I think there are some answers to these problems. But So let, let's go back to, I think it all comes down to trust, right? Mm-hmm. I think, well, what, what the Germans do at the post office is that they they extend the trust that that you are extending them because you you are present in person like and and, and the, they have a, a peer-to-peer system that or, or they could set up a peer-to-peer system that checks you know this person what's the track record of this person certifying identities is it like is it likely that this person would lie mm-hmm. about getting to know someone in person yeah and and I think you you could you could use that like you could use game theory to to model that and and to yeah. say okay uh, now we're gonna require you know people to meet in person and you know what what would a an in person meeting proof look like because if you could prove for example if you wanted to verify my identity that that I am who I say I am and I show you my passport and and here I am and you see that the passport my passport picture matches my my face so you know that my name is really Alejandro and I'm not. Uh, faking my name, then, then you could have a reputation token. For example, like like Augur does with prediction markets, right? Mm-hmm. So you, if you have a reputation on the line, you would you wouldn't gamble it so easily. You 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 would only have you know so much of it. Yeah, the cost of lying has to be so high. Yeah. that it's disincentivized. Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I think I, we don't we don't have the answer, and I think we're. We're talking way above our heads here, because of the because of the way things are playing. We we don't know what what will what the solution will look like. No idea. But but we're getting closer towards a solution, whether we know it or not. We we do. We are. We are. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Every day, this stuff evolves. We're evolving with it. That's the that's the beauty of the space. That's why it's so fucking enthralling. Is mm-hmm. because we're all learning together. Like there's no experts. It's like holy shit, we discovered something new today. Oh my god, like this it's, is insane. It's so addictive. It's such a <laughs> right? deep, deep rabbit hole. It right? never ends. And it's global. Everybody I meet that's fallen down yeah. has like the same addiction to it. <laughs> it's an addiction. It is, yeah. It really is. And I think uh I think that's a good place to stop. What do you have what about you? You got anything else to say? Sure. I mean, uh, no, I think uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. I yeah. think we've talked a lot about Venezuela. We talked about a little bit about the Petro. The Petro doesn't deserve like a huge mention, I think. Because I think I, I would really emphasize that point that I think it's more interesting to see what you could achieve with cryptocurrencies that are not the Petro in Venezuela. So what could Bitcoin achieve in Venezuela? And that's what the Democracy Earth people are doing mm-hmm. and, and other people are like Jonathan Wheeler is working on that and um, Jonathan Kahn and, and uh, David Hay are also working on that. So how do you really achieve the vision that cryptocurrencies are supposed to bring, which is to really separate money and state and really 
forcefully take money away from the people who are printing it and, mm -hmm. and, and back into the hands of the people. How do you do that? Well, that's the beauty of it. We don't have to do it forcefully. We're doing it peacefully, yeah. which is like a mind fuck for everybody. <laughs> like you do it peacefully by just plugging something into the wall and contributing, you know? And exactly. That's, and that's like the Friedrich Hayek, F.A. Hayek quote that I wrote about this week as well is that we are not going to revert to sound money again until you find a sly roundabout way to take the power to print money uh, out of the government's hands. And Bitcoin is that sly roundabout way. I, I, I read that newsletter and it was insane. Like I I got goosebumps. <laughs> Alejandro, where can we find out more about you? Well, I'm on Twitter. I try to be active there. I, I love Twitter. What's your handle? It's A-L-E-G-W. Ale. GW. Ale GW. Um, right. This has been fun, man. It was a great conversation. Thanks for having me. This is really amazing. Uh, I've always uh, wanted to, to meet you. I, I've been a avid reader of your uh, newsletter for, for a while, so I appreciate the work that you're doing. Oh, stop it. Really cool. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. Uh, happily, I'm... I'm, I'm I haven't been. I hadn't been in New York for a while, so I'm, I'm happy to be here for just a couple more days and hang out. Well, we're gonna meet up with Eduardo and crush some beers at uh, Skinny Dennis. Yeah, listen to some good music. Um, yeah. You can find out more about me at Marty Ben on Twitter. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review. Uh, if you don't like what I'm doing here, DM me. Tell me I'm an <laughs> asshole. Whatever you want to say, I'm open, all ears. Uh, thank you guys for joining us this week. Peace and love. That's fun.